Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Jay Tuft. Jay founded in 2016 Performance Excellence and Recovery Consulting, in other words, PERC a consulting firm dedicated to providing developing athletes the tools necessary to evaluate their mental game and perform in the face of stress, pressure, and adversity. Before Perk, Jay spent several years at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, spending hundreds of sessions working with the world's best athletes to evaluate their performance. Jay's work at the U.S. Olympic Training Center led realization that, that it wasn't just athletes at the highest level that needed high-performance psychology training. It was all athletes that stood to benefit. Perk rapidly became an industry leader in setting the standard for high-performance psychology training for developing athletes in the greater Denver area. Today, Jay oversees the mental performance training for 16 youth sports organizations and impacts approximately 5,000 athletes, parents, and coaches every year. With experience working with athletes and performers at, at the Olympic, national, collegiate, and high school levels, Jay looks forward to bringing his utmost decade of experience in his mission to help you achieve higher levels of performance. Train with Perk is a reflection of Jay's mission to increase the accessibility of high-performance psychology training so any athlete has the opportunity to show up and perform at their best in the moments that matter most. So welcome onto the show, Jay. Thanks for having me, James. Excited to be here. Um, looking forward to the conversation and see if we can't give some value back to your audience for taking some time out of their day to listen to us just kind of ramble on. So it's wow, my appetite. But let's go back backstory from that. Yeah. Where does your background come from in terms of the, the sport or the, the, the fascination into sports psychology? I don't know if that's too many questions. Yeah, good question. So I, I mean, I started out as an athlete, um, quickly realized that, you know, even just coming out of high school, um, I had some opportunities to play at uh, lower levels of college, um, very quickly realized that I, as a baseball player, I had a, you know, pro I didn't have a division one arm, but I had a division one brain. So, and especially with my, where my folks were, you know, I come from a very blue collar household. So with where my folks were financially, it just, it made the most sense to, to get as much money as I could <clears throat> to go to a, to, you know, division one, division, division one university and, and take that scholarship money on the education side and, and just kind of stuck with sports um, in some other ways throughout that. But um, that led to moving out here to Denver, um, pursuing, you know, wanting to stay within sports, um, finding out about, you know, this, this kind of newer field of high performance in sports psychology came out here to Denver. Um, the, the program out here in Denver is fantastic. Um, we've got some great teachers out here. Um, and like I said, during that time, you know, kind of, as I bridged through that time, um, that led to an opportunity to work down at the Olympic training center, which is located in the spring. So about an hour South of Denver. And um, help some of those athletes get ready for Rio, which was just such a phenomenal experience, um, you know, very, very early on, very fresh in my career to, to have that opportunity to sit down with those individuals and really help them and see their, see their process and, and to be able to put, put some of these tools to work. Um, finished up with that contract. Um, 
and realized, you know, I had one specific client um, that was actually a, a figure skater from another country. And, you know, this was an individual and figure skaters obviously are very young, right? They, they enter their sport at a young age and they obviously they exit their sport at a fairly young age. And, and she was no different. And she was incredibly talented for even her age group. And because of this talent and because of the country that she was skating for, um, that had kind of caused her to be thrust up through the ranks pretty quickly. And, you know, she had put all this time into the, the technical and the tactical and, you know, just the physical development of the sport. Um, but nobody taught her what was going to happen when the lights turned on in the big stage, you know, and even at, you know, the age of, you know, I believe it was 12 or 13 at the time, you know, she was kind of the level elite gymnast, so the, or the, not gymnast, but figure skater, the ones that you would see on TV. And nobody gave her any sort of, she never had any sort of mental training or any sort of how do you handle pressure? How do you handle stress? And it got to a point where, you know, before meet, she would just physically break down to a point to where she couldn't, she wouldn't even be able to take the ice. And that client, you know, worked, did a lot of work with her and got her back to a good place where she was able to finish out like her career strong. And, and those things didn't continue to hold her back. But the lesson from that client, I think even more so was, you know, we're spending a lot of time, you know, working with, you know, we're applying sports psychology and high performance psychology to these elite athletes, to these elite performers. But what I quickly realized is I felt like younger developing athletes probably actually stood more to gain. You know, if we could get some of these tools and principles about how do we manage stress? How do we handle pressure? How do we, you know, cope with the adversity that sport, as you know, is inevitably going to throw at you. If we can get these tools in the pockets of these younger developing athletes sooner, maybe there's a chance that they don't experience the same thing. And, you know, I'm not really of the belief that, you know, an athlete needs to fall on their face in a big moment before they finally buy into some of the mental training. I think it's, I think it, I don't think it's a buy-in problem. I think it's a resource problem. Um, and so that led me to starting perk. I believe that was in the June, in June of 2016. Um, and, you know, no, in June of, uh, of 2021. So five years later, um, here we are, love the work that I've, that I've been doing, been able to do a lot of great work with the athletes, um, and the, and even really the organizations. And I think that's been maybe the more powerful piece of the work is to see not just the athletes and the parents, but also the organizations really buy into, you know, this is a critical, critical skill that we also need to be developing, um, or at least placing in the programming of the, of what we're giving these athletes, um, throughout their sport career. And obviously we mentioned, obviously, I'll call it the grassroots, like the beginning of any sporting person's career. Yeah. If you mentioned the US more more specifically, I can't speak today, in terms of <laughs> like happens. the pressure cooking environments of, uh, obviously you come from Minnesota, so say the northern states with ice hockey at, mm -hmm. at high school and the deep south with the football, of pretty much the town revolves around that that that's i'll call it a franchise in in this way it was not a franchise but in terms of that is the be all and end all of of that uh the town the, the high school is pretty much that how do you prepare an individual for that because ultimately their mom or dad might have played for the team um obviously that you're going to be uh always compared to t a team in history mm -hmm. uh, and the question i would like to ask jay is 
how do you do it in this day and age? Because ultimately social media is going to ramp that up even more. Absolutely. I mean, I think that what you're pointing to um, is how much of what these young athletes are doing, how much of what they're doing is becoming a part of who they are. And that, that really points to a larger conversation on pressure. And pressure was something that we took a look at even, you know, as I exited the program, that was kind of one of the, the big final studies that we did. You know, to, to date, we know a lot about the effects of pressure, right? I think, you know, you as an athlete, you can tell me the, the mental impacts of pressure, the, the physical impacts of pressure. I mean, these are tangible feelings in terms of what, how they impact our mind and our body. But we, we haven't really clarified, at least not until recently, where pressure comes from. Why do these athletes feel the amount of psychological pressure that they feel? And quite literally, that has to do with, you know, an individual feels pressure when they feel as though their identity is threatened. So let's break that down a little bit. An identity for anybody. So James Roberts' identity is made up of two things. Number one is how he finds value in himself. Okay. The second thing is how James Roberts feels as though the world around him finds value in him. Okay, so now we apply that to these young athletes. Absolutely. If an athlete <clears throat> feels as though, or if they value themselves in an imbalanced way, or just maybe, maybe too much, maybe too much of the value that they have in themselves is based on what they're doing. So like you said, an ice hockey player or a football player, or what tends to happen more often than not is they perceive that the world around them values them for this thing that they're doing. And so that that's really important to establish that because you think about a young football player in Texas who, you know, they're, they, all their friends are, you know, closely connected to football. People see them as like the football player. Um, mom and dad are highly involved, like in the, you know, they've traveled to these camps and there's been, you know, money and resources and time invested into, into that career. You know, when this athlete's grandparents come over for, for a holiday, what's the first thing that they ask them about, right? They're asking them how's football going. And so to, when that happens, that puts the athlete in a place where they're going to feel a lot more pressure. Now, listen, it, let's be very clear. Pressure in and of itself is not a bad thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with pressure. In fact, <clears throat> I would I would surmise to say that pressure for many people is a sign that what you're doing is meaningful and impactful to you. You know, when when we step into a performance domain or something or step into something that we really care about, um, we're going to feel some pressure and that's OK. Here's the thing with pressure, though, is that there's absolutely a ceiling on the amount of pressure that a person can feel and still be able to perform at an optimal level. And then you apply that to a younger individual and that ceiling gets pretty short, pretty quick. And that ceiling in terms of how much pressure they can feel before their performance starts to suffer is poured in concrete. So again, that's a really important foundation. And so how we start to solve that is we have to create, we have to really work to balance out that identity. You know, it, it, there's this, there's this notion, I think, when it comes to like mental toughness of, you know, athletes shouldn't feel pressure, they shouldn't feel fear or any other emotion or worry or anxiousness. And, and that, that just couldn't be further from the truth, especially you as, as somebody who was a high, an athlete at a very high level, you know, that those things are going to happen. Um, and so it's never a matter of 
getting rid of those feelings. That's because that's next to impossible. I mean, in order for me to make an athlete stop feeling pressure, I'd literally have to convince them not to care. And that's going to be unproductive in a variety of other ways. So that, that option, that option's out, right? Can't do that. Um, but what we can do is we can find some balance. We can remind ourselves and we can invest in other areas of our life. Um, and we can change our relationship with that pressure, right? We can start to, with a lot of work, we can start to change the relationship that we have with those emotions that we have with the feeling. And instead of them being a threatening experience, merely starting to see them as a sign of when I feel this way, this is a sign that this is where I should be. This is where I need to be like, I, you know, in, in almost welcoming that. Now that's, that's a big mindset shift and that's not always easy to do. And it's certainly one of those things that's easier said than done, but that's generally where we would start. And do you think it's like an ev evolution uh, of viewing, obviously, sports psychology? Because you, you mentioned me a few times, Jay. When I started my career, well, in sport in general, it was 20 years ago. So sports psychology probably non-existent or mm -hmm. very, very viewed in you know being at buddhist temple or something like that like that it was very very much out there and probably the view of if you use my parents you know the 60s of okay you're you're way out there and i guess it's that that embrace that people have taken on on board and, and, and i guess because also in this country of seeing british cycling succeeding by sure. utilizing it i guess everybody's kind of go okay it works um let me get a piece of that pie and mm -hmm. you think it's that evolution of it's filtered down as we need to be more open-minded to different approaches and, and different resources like you said earlier on yeah that's a good question i think i think there's two answers to that question i think the first answer it's very dependent on the sport I think that high performance psychology has found much more open doors in the sports of tennis, in the sports of golf, in some of the in gymnastics and figure skating. Obviously, the theme there is individual sport. I think it hasn't even really been till recently. And I would I would argue to say that there are cert certainly still some team sports that, you know, maybe the doors aren't as open as some of the other ones. So I, I would certainly say that it's sport specific. And I think within those sports, there are some sports where that maybe the coaches are a little bit more, I don't know if I want to say progressive, but just more open. There's a little bit more openness to kind of newer ways or trying to find new ways to get an edge where you look at a sport like American football, and that's a very rugged sport. And these are some old school coaches who are still legitimately raised and brought up in that time period that you referenced. So I think it's sports specific. <clears throat> the second thing I think it is, is just the overall stigma of psychology. And I'll say this, I think the field of psychology itself, in a way, has done some tremendous things in terms of mental health, in terms of really identifying and attacking, you know, some of the maladies of the mind, some of the things that go wrong. But I think because of that, because pretty much the first hundred years of psychology was focused on what was going to go wrong, right? Like you went to see, some, <clears throat> you went to see a mental health professional, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, whatever it was, if there was something wrong. And a big part of that, at least in, in this country, in the U S is because that's where all the research money was, you know, all the research money, all the grants was pretty well focused on 
depression, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, mood disorders, things like this, the dis overall, just the disorders of the mind. And that was pretty much the first hundred years of psychology. And it really only hasn't been until the last maybe 10, 15, maybe 20. And I feel like that's probably a stretch where we actually started looking to say, okay, yep. Psychology can definitely help somebody who's struggling, get them back to what we would define as like a normalized function. But can't it also be used to help a normally functioning individual achieve higher levels of performance or even higher levels of functioning or higher levels of, you know, what I would call like mental optimization? It really hasn't been until recently that we've actually started seeing psychology being applied for that purpose as well. And so that would be my answer. I think it's twofold. I think it's sports specific, but I also think that there's been a massive overcoming of just the overall stigma of psychology itself. So what would your view be on Vince Lombardi then? You think is he ahead of his time or is it just that sports psychology in that sense of what we know nowadays yeah. is just in a different guise of mind management because ultimately his team speeches, if you listen to on YouTube, is like, well, mm -hmm. I'd run for a brick wall for you. But ultimately, the point I'm making, if he was honest with his players, you can't seek perfection, but I want you to get right. as close as possible to get excellence. And I think any driven <clears throat> individual, sport-minded or not, okay, I like the word of excellence. Okay, you're being a realist with me. With Perfection is... Mm -hmm. I'm going to aspire to it, but if I come close to it, excellence is still pretty good. I think that like with most other fields, I think that there was probably people doing it. You know, there was probably, you know, certainly great coaches, Lombardi, um, Bill Walsh is one, um, Phil Jackson of the, the Laker, the great, in, our, in you know, in American basketball in with the Lakers and um, the Bulls. You know, there was, you know, he, Phil Jackson was probably the first, it was really the first one um, with George Mumford um, to pioneer mindfulness just as a intervention, as a skill builder for sport. I think there's been people doing either it, some, something close to high performance psychology or understanding human motivation or just understanding leadership or some of these principles or, you know, Lombardi's idea of we can't seek perfection. I mean, that's just a mindset, right? That's, you know, a thought pattern building, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, there has been coaches that maybe set themselves apart. I think that it just hasn't been until recently that we started putting some definitions and some science and some actual research to kind of back up what they found in the beginning. And I'm sure, you know, especially with your background in strength and conditioning, I'm sure there's examples of people who were doing, you know, maybe all the way back to Roman and the gladiator times where they were doing strength and conditioning programming, or they're kind of figuring it out. And it wasn't until later on in human history that somebody actually put some definitions and some science um, behind some of the interventions that were being applied. So no, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's it's you're not reinventing the wheel in most right. in most cases. I think people are looking for this maybe outside of sports uh, are looking for this magic pill. I think within sports, I think you're a little bit more realistic. It's like these tangibles yeah. between the white lines. Yeah, I yeah, need to I put think, in the work. I agree. I think 
at least what I've seen in my field and, you know, there's, you know, social media and there's all over the internet and you, you see mindset coaches and, you know, yada, 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 just a, a million different definitions of the work. I think you've seen a lot of people fall in love with mental skills training, how to visualize, how to breathe, how to talk to yourself. And that's all well and good. But I'll say this, and it's probably going to be an unpopular opinion. Mental skills are not the foundation of strong mental performance. And that's going to be a really unpopular opinion because the fact of the matter is, is it doesn't matter how efficient your breathing is. doesn't matter how, you know, well you can visualize, doesn't matter, you know, what your pre-performance routine is. If there's a few things that are flawed in your mindset, or for example, like your relationship with your emotions, or if your identity is off balance or, and that's causing just an insurmountable amount of pressure. I'm going to be honest with you. There's no amount of breathing. Like if I go to a, you know, let's say that I have a Texas high school. Well, let me use a more realistic. So I've got a pro women's soccer player um, right now. And, you know, she was definitely one where this has been what she's done for the longest time. And just the amount of pressure and the amount of emotions that were wrapped up in just this threat that she felt to her identity time in and time out. I'm going to be honest with you. I could have given her a breathing exercise, wouldn't have done her a bit of good, but wouldn't have helped. It's not until we correct the underlying foundation. Now, mental skills absolutely have a place and they are important, but they're not the foundation, you know, and, and the foundation has to do with a lot of those other things that that really get into the psychological science, that sort of thing. And I unfortunately, I do see a lot of people that advertise, you know, use this visualization, use this breathing, use this self-talk. And and again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there's also no reason that you have to pay for that. I mean, I, I, I've got those free resources on my YouTube channel. I'll just give you that stuff for free, you know. Because like, yes, it's going to help you, but there's a deeper layer that we need to get into. There's a deeper level of conversation that we need to get into. There's a lot of work that needs to be done generally before we even start talking about um, specific mental skill implementation. You'd probably like the one, the uh, more recent one with Eric Thomas of talking about, um, you know, building all these condos on the hilltops in California and they're not, they're only built into the sand. If they mm -hmm. dig a bit deeper and did in the yeah. bedrock, obviously these these houses uh, won't be signed down the down the hillside. And, and so you and I know what he's talking about because mm -hmm. ultimately you need to dig away at the granite. Um, yeah. I, I've probably done a little bit of both. I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm quite willing to come vulnerable to to my audience and to yours. It and I was challenged on this about two weeks ago in mm -hmm. terms of. Uh, how I was communicating with <clears throat> prospects, how I was communicating with clients, and especially how I was communicating with myself right, right. about the emotion. Uh, my co my business coach challenged me to, okay, James, what what are we going to do to to solve that? And I was willing to, you know, dis dissociate myself from the my previous identity. Yeah, I yeah. mine's not as bad as some people's. As I, I've got multiple identities that I can distinguish from the athlete, but it was trying to push away that identity of yeah. James the Paralympian. It's like okay, that serves you in some senses, mm -hmm. but also also it's a negative because people are going to put you on a pedestal. Sure, 
and then make that gap huge as to yeah. I can't relate to James because you were you did you chose to do this like well yeah. I've not created this but let me get rid of it and right. over probably a period of like two years mm-hmm. actually show the, the the flaws that I've got mm-hmm. and the vulnerability of I've overcome this I've overcome issues with mental health and be yeah. kind of real and to mm-hmm. kind of say well I'm not this superhuman that the media portrays athletes to be I'm I'm just like you I want to be recognized just like you mm-hmm. uh, and I think obviously going a little bit deeper than that again obviously not comfortable but right I'm right. willing to step out of the the, the uncomfortable because okay if I can be okay with uh, I don't know. Everybody's okay with being okay with themselves on a good day. That's not difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. It's being okay with the days that you know you kind of go, mm, I can't be asked today, or I, I mm-hmm. I'm not quite feeling it. I feel like really low. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, to the extremes of anxiety, depression, and and all those is like most people have challenged me. It's like, why do you keep a- a- analyzing? it to the microcosm that you do so okay that's, right. that's something that i've stepped back away from a little bit because yeah. it was getting a bit little bit um geeky yeah i think you know the first thing that you said there in terms of the house and i love that metaphor and that's it's legitimately the the exact same metaphor that i use <clears throat> with my clients is you know we have to build this foundation first and you know when it comes to the mental skills side of it that's that's where we start putting the walls and the windows and stuff like that but you know the second thing that you touched on there is is really what it is to kind of be a coach and i think you know, for me, one of the things early on that really has worked for me in terms of connecting with my athletes, right? Because I, I, I've worked with incredibly high level athletes. I work with pros. I've got some, you know, elite level, you know, junior hockey players, but I also got a 14 year old. Yeah. I've got a 14 year old high schooler and he's just trying to do his thing, you know? And I think the thing that really connected with me early on is a piece of advice that I got that, you know, the work with these clients, it's not about me. It's about them, right? It's about their experience. It's about, can, do they feel as though you can create in them the transformation that they're looking for? And so it's about them. And, and I think there's an element of then meeting them where they are and figuring and, and certainly having a methodology and, and, and listen, there's nothing cookie cutter about what I do because, you know, we're all as, unique. We're just too incredibly unique to, you know, that's where, again, some of these just formal mental skills training part, we're new breathing, visualization, self-talk. Okay. Well, how does that apply to me though? How do I use that? And the ability to meet somebody where they are and to help them understand that there is a pathway forward. I mean, hope is a powerful, powerful thing. And it's not that we're just, we can't just sell hope, right? We, we have to conv- we have to connect with them and install in them a hope that, you know, there is a pathway forward. Here's how we're going to do that. And for many of them, it feels as though, you know, they've got to climb this big, massive mountain and it can be intimidating. But in my experience, you know, I'm out here in Colorado, we've got big Rocky Mountains. It's a heck of a lot easier to go up a mountain if you've got a guide there, if you've got somebody there who's done it before. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's tremendous advice that you received of, 
you can't always frame everything through your experience. And in fact, that can be a very limiting experience as a coach. It's really just about, can you help them understand why and how they are struggling? Because I'll be honest with you, that's, that's probably one of the most important pieces of the work is raising the awareness in the individual of here's what's going on. Here's why you're struggling. Um, but when you do that, when you can raise, when you can show them that immediately you do another, you do something else and you show them that you understand and that it's going to be okay. And that there is a, and that there is a way forward. And that, that is just way more powerful and you're going to get way more buy-in and execution and trans in, in the thus, you know, results and transformation that the clients are coming to you for. Well, that's why I had the disagreement with somebody a couple of months ago. That's because they were kind of say, well, James, you in the past life, more motivational, more inspirational. Okay, continue. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, obviously, I, you can tell by my, my, my tone of voice, I didn't agree with them because ultimately the, the knock-on effect I have from just one, it's like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. The, the sport that everybody do, that everybody does at whatever level is predominantly for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's me in the spotlight. Yep. Okay, it does help to have a team sometimes because then yep. you can hide. But in terms of being in the spotlight of we'll use Friday Night Lights, of mm-hmm. being in the moment and being front and center of we used obviously Texas because it's an easy example to use. You are the most important people in that town on that given night. And everything mm-hmm. revolves around leading up to that game. And ultimately I disagreed. And I'm pretty much I'm probably I'm probably happier than I ever have been. And and because it's a buzz, you get mm-hmm. buzz. I probably get more of a buzz now mm-hmm. than I do. Okay, there are some down moments, but ultimately you get to speak to more individuals. And I've been both in individual support and team sport. It is a lonely place, especially mm-hmm. when, especially when you are uh, not winning, because ultimately yeah, you turn on each other. Of, oh, I used to probably the the worst person for it. Of okay, I didn't play, so I'll bad mouth the team because ultimately I'm going to distance myself from the performance, take no no accountability for the lead up to it, and yeah. kind of just okay, that's taking some some reflection on that. And probably a couple of years to kind of yeah. like uh digest it and kind of say james that's a, that's a, that's a cop out and that's been a sellout yeah um you, you need to take some ownership because ultimately if you didn't prepare the other guys for for going to war that's your fault too um yeah. okay i'm now 35 years old i was 25 years old back then so i was probably still quite juvenile uh but i've been willing to take on board positive criticism is easy but some people are surprised by the how i can digest criticism i i don't i just i just take it in mm-hmm. i just do like like mike tyson that's saying i'll get smacked in the mouth yeah but i'm gonna get up it's like okay what you said i don't like but it's the truth mm-hmm and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Obviously, that's another saying. Ultimately, mm-hmm. come out the other side. So I think what, what I'd echo you said, Jay, Jay is it's, it's a powerful thing that that 
it's probably taken the realization that I've talked to a good game. Of, I did it by myself, right? Which is ultimately ridiculous because I had a very supportive family, um, mm-hmm. at the very least, um, to be able to kind of go, okay, we hear you. Mm-hmm. I used to be one of the athletes to dump, dump my problems and, and move on. Uh, and I obviously apologize for that in, in later life. I said, well, that's the, you can't do anything or impact on the situation. Uh, I've just kind of go, here you go. Here's a problem. I'll forget about it. I'll move on and I'll deal with it. But I, I probably would have been better resourced if I'd have dealt with it myself because that's, that's pressure, that's stress. Ultimately, I know how to deal with it and, that, and that's overcoming mm-hmm. adversity. But I tell the people now, it's like, well, you can do it by yourself. Obviously, some people can, some people can't. Some people think that they know best. I've been there and thought that as well. As yeah, I knew best. I do this. Um, but what you what you mentioned in the very beginning of the episode of pretty much athletes don't need to fall on their face. I think I'm probably a dying. I'm a dying generation of thinking like that. I need to fail mm-hmm. before I mm-hmm. succeed. Whereas I think the guys coming in now, guys and girls, as ultimately. If you can learn anything probably from this episode, is we might as well step on the backs of the individuals that have been there before. You don't yeah. make those same mistakes. Yeah. You learn the lessons, but you don't make the mistakes. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think you know it's interesting. You bring up something, you know, just this idea of how the way that you handled whether it was stress and pressure and adversity as a as an athlete it may have gotten you by, um, you know, whether or not it was optimal or whether or not it was the most productive. Um, and there you are shaking your head, um, whether or not it was the most productive, it did carry with you into, you know, adjustment into later on in life, into these other roles that you play later on in life. And I think that's the, that's the big message, you know, especially when I sit down with families and and especially parents and, you know, one of the one of the big powerful transformations that I get to see from the work that I have in individuals is, you know, let's say an athlete's struggling in confidence in their sport. Odds are they're having a hard time being confident in other areas of their life as well. Let's say an athlete that's having a hard time handling managing their emotions. We see that a little bit far too often in professional sport individuals who have a hard time managing intense emotions and how that impacts their behavior. Um, individuals who have a hard time with pressure or how adversity um, impacts you know, their mental state. All those things are not just sport-specific constructs. You know, We don't just face stress, pressure, adversity, emotional experiences in sport. We face them in everyday life. And that's the big lesson. And that's the big takeaway for parents in that, you know, when I work with an athlete and I make them more confident or I make them more emotional resilient, or they learn to, 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 to look at pressure in a more productive way or look at emotions more productively that carries with them, that carries with them to their time as an athlete, to the time that they're going to be after an athlete and you know the converse is the same an athlete who develops maybe a way in which to handle those things that gets them by in their sport eventually we all we all find a ceiling we always find a ceiling for 
some unproductivity in our mindset. You found it with yours in terms of now being a small business owner and having to take feedback and how do we go about handling handling some of those things? Because the, I mean, truth be told, the way that you handled those things as an athlete is probably not going to get you very far as a business owner, as a coach, as you know, in in the other roles that you choose to pursue. So, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting conversation when you think about, you know, some of these things that we often, you know, we keep very much locked in, in the sport and performance bubble. And we rarely think to kind of pull those out of the bubble and extrapolate those and see how they may apply to other areas of life, especially later in life, because I, this is, this is a fun one. This is a quote that I, that I've stolen from, from, from a mentor of mine. Sport has a hundred percent retirement rate eventually there's going to be something else, you know, and eventually there's going to be another role and how you go about handling these things as an athlete is absolutely, unless you either like you did have the awareness or realize that this is unproductive, it's, it's going to carry over with you. Well, it's probably took a couple of years after I retired though, to, to realize that, yeah. that what you're doing is not working and to give people some perspective and I was willing to, to open up as because we did an exercise like on praise. What what do we what what do we, we admire about each and each coach, which was mm-hmm. obviously after meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh to do that to become raw and be willing to give something with no judgment. And most I think most of the peers said to me, We admire your your, your relentlessness, your drivenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the things, all the tangibles that come from sport. But I think one that's left with me the most as you still need to get more vulnerable. Mm. It's like, well, okay, yeah. That's challenging, but that's going to take time and that's going to mm-hmm. take um, a willingness to, not to bear all, but to bear all to myself, to, to be, okay, this is the real James, this is yeah. the 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 childlike essence of you, with no care in the world for any emotion. The math is yeah. sadness, uh, happiness, joy. Um, obviously, everybody's got anger, but in terms of being okay with that, and I was okay as a kid, and I think I, as I've evolved through my sporting career, obviously mm-hmm. the suit of armor comes on, and pretty much you're told to. To, to be like you're not supposed to be scared you're not supposed to be anxious you're not supposed to be this that, and the other and ultimately yeah. it's of the stone it's part of it kind of, you know of the thinking of because ultimately how everybody operates is like you said everybody is an individual how one person responds to to i won't say criticism i'll say feedback is going to differ from the next person and the next person ultimately i've probably been very fortunate to be in in being able to be engrossed myself into sports psychology and that was that was mm-hmm. the tangible ones i went to, to to college and university yeah that was the most one was that was actually useful not i would say useful it was the one that i could get the buy-in yeah you probably connected you probably connected with that the most you know well i i've had i've done um physiology obviously that's quite difficult to take out of a lab and put into into <laughs> right. the real world right uh, right biomechanics same again mm-hmm. for sports psychology okay these are the the theories that i'm being taught let's see which ones work for me so ultimately yeah. we're coming back to what you talked about earlier on of of what resource 
how does it work for me mm-hmm. and ultimately i think what my 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 lecturers and my professor said to me is like you 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 you've got a massive advantage over the rest of the of your student body because i can put it back in the opposite direction into coursework and back it up this is mm-hmm. why i think this this theory applies to this of i think i did a paper on burnout Mm. family is like this is ridiculous burnout doesn't exist as a sports person um and i probably if i was to bring it up what is it now it's about 10 years if i was bringing it up again and they'd probably still disagree with me on it <laughs> on the paper altogether even though it's been proven that it's a fact mm-hmm. if you obviously oh, yeah. overdo it and it back to emotions mm-hmm. and that's probably why that's the only probably aspect that's missing from that paper is looking at it from an emotional standpoint yeah, pretty much is 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 the person is is being like a pressure cooker. Ultimately, you need to on 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 yeah. on, on um not unleash and un, either unleash it or or release some mm-hmm. of that pressure. Otherwise, it's going to explode. Uh, yeah. And the point I'm making is, I think because I've been able to utilize all the tangibles, it's a massive asset now because I can kind of showcase. Uh, if I just use a conversation I had this today with a prospect of how how does your coaching work? How did he word it? It's not I didn't exactly say that. In terms of how does it work with other people? Sure, sure. Well, oh, that's yeah. not the right. That's not for, between you and I. That's not the right question because ultimately <laughs> right. it doesn't right. matter what I've done with somebody in the past. Sure, those those particular resources or skill sets I might not use. Mm-hmm. You've got that particular improvement to be made. I won't use a negative. I'll use the positive. You've sure. got this aspect of you need to, you want to improve. I know it was lacking in confidence. Um, mm-hmm. What I appreciate is I pointed out he had an impatience. All I did was reword what he said. If, if it was that, that, which is psychology, I'm just using words that of, uh, what people say is for reverse psychology of sure. uh, i'm just pinpointing i've seen what you've written i've heard what you've said mm-hmm. yes i agree that you have an impatience if somebody's made you aware of it first time i'm, I'm just reiterating the point but we can obviously look to and he's like oh, i've like i've never i've only been speaking for like for a couple of days it's like i, yeah. I already I, I i already know you mm-hmm. like well that's great. What do you want to do from here? Do you want to bypass right. a small chit chat and actually have a, have, a, have a proper conversation and we deep dive into what is the underlying problem as mm-hmm. to it's coming because it's ultimately how, how it, I think it's how the world sees him back to the point that you mentioned of the identity. Right. And I think losing a limb. Okay. I, I, I can relate because I have one, but I was born with that. So I think where people think more externally for me, it's more from the able-bodied population as, oh, James, your, your situation is, but it's not. This is my starting point. We move on. But I think because I've had that willingness, it's more like an epiph- epiphany to acknowledge, okay, you think it's adverse, let me embrace it instead of kind of push it off as it's right. no big deal. Okay. It is right. a big deal. And I'll 
embrace it some days and sometimes I'm not obviously I'm laughing as I'm saying it but the point I'm making is obviously for my niche or niche is I can relate to my audience because I live and breathe it but mm-hmm. the other aspects of the psychology is is trying to learn and probably and probably educating myself on that individual so I that's why I find it immensely fascinating having like conversations because everybody's different and it's like oh, okay what mm-hmm. conversation am i going to have next there might be yeah. overlaps okay the limb is one but you can kind of say well that's what i was on i was just honest it's it's going right. to be bespoke i don't think i use that word but you know custom to built to you because right what you need is going to be different from the next individual or next athlete or be it what skill set a female athlete might have over a male athlete is going to differ. And obviously mm-hmm. the upbringing as well. Right. It'll be different sport to sport as well. Like the demands, it's no different, you know, than the work that I do with athletes is you have to, you have to customize the training to the demand, to the, to the athlete, certainly. But then you also have to pair that with the, the specific demands of the sport, because, you know, for you, if you work with a hockey player versus a tennis player, the, the strength and conditioning, the programming is going to be very different. And it's no different than for myself as well. So, yeah. Well, I don't know how a tennis player, I almost said hockey player getting hit, but that's obviously obvious. That's obvious. Um, that's a slip of this. There's a Freudian fluid, fluid slip. But if the, hockey, <laughs> if the tennis player got hit, getting hit by somebody, it's going to change the dynamic of the game completely. Sure. But I know where you're coming from. And, and that's probably why I embrace the role more because it's like, well, how I'm coached is more, it's like a fine, a family dynamic. So mm-hmm. I probably treat my business like a team as sure. this is the environment I was in. Society says obviously to change to certain things, but I'm probably pushing back against that. It's like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Competitive environment is a good one. Comparative environment is the bad problem. And trying to educate the people like between the difference. It's like, well, sp- sports, men and women will not always look at comparison in the right way. I'm using my words carefully now because of, because of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Obviously we've got a younger audience, TikTok mm-hmm. uh, and, and things like that because I want to compare and I want to be better than that person. And then you get obsessed with, okay, why is my stuff not doing as well as that? And it, and it probably det- detracts from your performance because ultimately what you were talking about and that, that, that actually got me thinking as well jay of when you said how they operate in one way they operate in another my coach says that all the time but what you said what was impactful to, to me is it got me thinking of obviously my my life as a teenager of mm. i was not this extrovert that i am now and mm-hmm. people find it very odd it's like you're not introverted no chance like why i can assure you i was mm-hmm. i was shy i was reserved and uh, okay i've just met you i've got another conversation with you like i'm not having now maybe in a few weeks sure but the point that i'm making to to you and the audience is no wonder i would kind of lose my temper a lot in sport because ultimately i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not confident in one proportion of my life which is pretty much all of it because it's everything outside of sports pretty massive 
especially at that time in your life. No wonder you can't keep your cool. So not always, but it would kind of go lose my temper or let's kick out and and uh, never had an outburst, but it would be I would I would not be able to kind of temper my to my anger. And I think as I got older, oh, this wasn't until I'd made it my first world champs. Sure. That, that fam- my family kind of went, well, you can't do it. Well, I think my mom, because she'd been there throughout the, the entirety of the career, she kind of, she knew me. But yeah. she said, well, the other, your aunt and uncle can't really understand why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And by the time I made my first Paralympics, I, they, my mom, I think my mom said to me, oh, am I talking to the same James? That's just in two years of just a transformation of, okay, it's not gone the way that I scripted. That's that's okay. I've thrown the kitchen sink. Obviously, mm-hmm. I wasn't very happy the next day, but around my family, I, I was very, very humble. It's like, well, okay, I've done the best. I've done the best. We've done the best that we could. We, we we've thrown the, the entirety of it and gone full time. And okay, it didn't work out too there's no medal in my house to, 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 to utilize, not utilize is not the right word to put into, put in to summarize what the, the sacrifice you have to put in. But right. obviously my definition of success is massively differently, but from back then, um, sure. sure. It, it was all about, you know, the materialistic things back then. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> what what but i think that's because of societal pressures a little bit that's my opinion of, sure you know sure. of you you must have a big house you must have these luxurious right. items uh you must go pro i'm pretty much i can't remember i think it's like no 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 one percent chance of you making it pro mm-hmm. um i think obviously the american psyche towards some sports need to tweak because then what's wrong with going to play in Europe and you still get paid to do it? You're still doing right. still a professional. Right. Uh, but that's more so with the 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 stereotype probably of, oh, look at me. Well, I think it's a comparison thing too. You know, and I think that's a, especially with my younger athletes, you know, if we, if we subscribe to the philosophy that comparison is going to be the thief of joy, you know, there's there's many individuals who that you know i've worked with and they've had a great performance you know they've had a great performance um but they allow something in social media or i didn't get this this amount of statistical success in that game or i didn't get recruited to the same level university that this other prospect that they got you know the opportunity to and and yeah i think that it's very easy to have, you know, what we would, what we would describe in psychology as like this external frame of reference, right? Which is an external frame of reference is you're literally like you have a frame, like a picture for or like a, a window frame in front of you. And you're looking from yourself external to the world and asking yourself, you know, based on what you see in the world, are you doing the right thing? Are you, you know, is it gratifying is what you're doing? The, you know, it's just, just acceptable. Um, so we look for gratification and acceptance um, through that external frame. And that's really unproductive. You know, some of the, the more powerful and more successful people, they have this internal frame of reference where they just look inward and they have a very, 
deep sense of what their purpose is, what they're looking to accomplish, um, what their values are, and then they just align their action to those values. And yeah, I mean, I think what you just described there is, is getting caught up in just perpetually looking to the external world and then basing what you see on whether or not you're just even doing the right thing is really going to be unproductive. It's kind of the, it's the, it's the gym paradox, right? And this is the the example that I'll give. It's, you know, if you're going to the gym to like the, you know, to get, you know, stronger and to build muscle or whatever it is, but if you're going to the gym because, you know, you want to be the biggest person in the gym or the most fit person in the gym, there's always somebody somewhere who's more fit than you. There's always, you know, for us men, it's a very egotistical thing, right? There's, there's always a bigger guy in the gym, even you as large as you are, James, right? There's always a big, there's always going to be a bigger guy. You're in the, the gym. second person. To see, I don't see it. I, I and I, to, to give you some confidence, the first person was the, uh, one of my bob, one of the barbers in my barber shop. It's like, oh, yeah. you're quite, you're quite built, built like a, I'm not tall. I'm only sure. five for eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like, oh, you're quite broad. Like, well, okay. I think I'm gonna have to do a you know before and after picture. This yeah, is maybe it's the camera. Sport. You just you fill it's, up the screen very well on this. Yeah, but I'm close to the, it might be because I'm closer to the screen than you. It could be just that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not that I'm not that imposing figure, but right. What he was relating to is obviously the color of my skin as well. It's like you're quite imposing figure. It's like, why well, I'm small. Oh. If I was six foot tall, I could understand that that I'm sure. into uh intimidating figure of you know tall dark and handsome but i'm I'm quite i'm quite sure i'm average height right Right. i'm average build uh probably the the epitome of you know athletic build is like sure most people want to be here it's like well i also have the body type that is easier to get fat and it's easier to get slim um (laughs) so i can joke around with that it's like well you don't want to go the up you don't want to go the bad way Mm -hmm. you want to go the good way right but that's the bonus of that of that build um but obviously what the question i'd like to ask you and this is something i was asked um and i think you were probably more expertly suited to answer it than i probably was I had this elderly gentleman say, I want to, I want to become an extrovert from an introvert. And so if mm. I'll give you a little bit of backstory, yeah. um, he comes from a generation of education, education, education. So when he asked his parents, can I play high school football? They said, no. So how do you, how do you get him to realize what we, what you just said to me uh, of, of introvert, the, the introverted way of looking at, purpose how because yeah. he ultimately wants to go on um national television i guess okay. yeah i guess power. that would have been that would have been the first question right is like what what's the reason behind it or, or in what way does he perceive that being an introvert is unproductive for you know his ability to get to where he wants to go and i guess you just answered that there in terms of he wants to be more on television and i think this is you know, this would be good advice for pretty much anybody listening to this is the advice that I would give to this guy is write down a list of actions that you feel like the extroverted version of yourself would be able, or or, write down the list of actions that the extroverted version of yourself would do. Okay. Now, 
some when people when I say action, immediately people are going to think you know physical action. So what are they going to do physically? And that's that's for absolutely absolutely correct. Okay. So for example, how does he carry himself? What sort of mannerisms does he take? That sort of thing. Um, but just identify those actions. But there's also mental actions. And I think this is something that we often forget when we think about like how how our emotions impact what we do. <clears throat> we often think of you know, American baseball, the guy strikes out and he snaps the bat over his leg, right? So emotion, frustration, physical action, snap the bat over his leg. But what we often don't see is the mental actions that correspond with that. Okay. So what's the nature of his, you know, where, how does he start to talk to himself? Where does his attitude go? What is his overall mindset shift? And so with anybody like that, I would say, okay, let's identify what set of actions, both mentally in terms of how you're talking to yourself, what sort of optimism are we bringing? Um, how are we, where are we placing our focus um, in that? And there's, a, you could do a whole list of those things. And then also physical actions in terms of at what pace would this person be talking? How would this person carry themselves? How would this person, um, you know, how would this person command a room, <clears throat> that sort of thing? How would this person handle eye contact, things like that? And, and I think when, whenever you're trying to improve or we're looking for personal growth, I think the term that you often hear is like kind of this fake it till you make it term. And I'm, I, it just makes my skin crawl. I, I am because the issue with fake it till you make it is there's the, there's a level of inauthenticity there. Okay. It's not about being inauthentic. It's just about identifying because, you know, people who, who see themselves as introverted, they don't see themselves as extroverted when in fact we all go through various, you know, it's like a pendulum, right? I mean, I'm, I would consider myself a fairly, extroverted person, but there's absolutely days where I just want to shut my, shut the door and I just want to be left alone for the day. So we go through swings and, and there's a set of actions that align with the extroverted version of myself and in, in the mental actions and the physical actions. And likewise with the introverted version of myself. And it's just a matter of what are you going to choose to do? What actions are you going to choose to take? And for him, there's probably some, as you say, some vulnerability. There's some, which, you know, I define vulnerability as emotional risk. So there's going to be some vulnerability there, as in there's going to be the potential to feel some emotions if that situation doesn't go well. In spite of those feelings, can you still do these actions that you've outlined for yourself? as the extroverted version of yourself. So that's where I would start with him. What's your take on what did my, what did my coach describe the exercise? It's not a, what you're talking about is not an easy exercise to do because I've started it. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not in terms of, oh, what did he term it as? Future, looking at it as your future self. Yeah. And you're, you're trying to project into the future. Obviously I cheated a little bit. So, um, and why I cheated is, is because some of the things I've achieved, but I want to better it. So thus I'm not sure. doing like you said of faking it. So I made, I've already done it, but I want to improve on it, on it. So if we talk yeah. about, um, you asked me what, what have I done off air? I didn't mention the TEDx, but obviously I've done one. Sure. I've had the setback of not being able to get one. Okay. But, I've taken on board what people have said to me. Oh, it's good, but it could be better. Okay. Yeah. We want to do yeah. one more. We want to, well, I won't say one more. I would like to do multiple ones. Um, but I've done more. I've done one now, but so I can reference, I've done it. I've done it in difficult circumstances of a pandemic. So I do it in, in my house, um, which is yeah. more challenging probably doing on stage. Um, and 
the, the, the point I'm making to the audience is that this future self is you're trying to describe, you know, character traits, mm -hmm. uh, how you, how you, how you dress, what, like the bare minimums of you're going to, of, sure. of, of how you're going to represent yourself. So it, it, it is challenging because obviously you're going into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I would I would challenge that because like even for this individual who wants to be a little bit more extroverted, um, he identifies or he sees himself as an introvert. But I would be willing to wager that there are moments in his life or groups of individuals that he's around where he is a more extroverted person. Say, so for example, let's say that he is extroverted when he gets into a social situation or he gets in front of a camera. Okay. Generally, that would be because he's feeling a certain way in those situations. But I would, I'm certain that he's not this in introverted person all the time, whether he's around, if he has kids or if he's around his family, or if he's around a small, close group of friends, what version of you or what version of yourself are you in those moments? And then just lean on those. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of like, let's try and project something that we're completely unaware of in the future. Let's just go back to find some little, some little things in the past, some little experiences in the past. And, and again, not, not rely on those feelings of those situations, not relying for, so in his, in his case, not relying on the feeling of, you know, how it feels when he's in those small groups or those feel the, the or the small group of friends or the feeling that he gets when he is with his family. Because the fact of the matter is it's not going to feel the same. What I would want him to focus on is <clears throat> what are you doing in those situations? How are you, what is, what is this mental state that allows you to be that version of yourself? What is this, you know, what are you doing physically that allows you to be that version of yourself? And so that that's where I would push back a little bit that we need to try and, you know, completely toe into the unknown because odds are he's been that version of himself before you know, even the most unconfident person, there's a situation where they don't feel unconfident, where they're actually able to be an authentic version of themselves. What is that person doing that, that, what is that person doing in those situations that they are failing to doing in some of these other situations that make them uncomfortable, that then cause them to take a set of actions that align with them then being unconfident? Oh, that's my question of thought now. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's your take on on on, on what, what you just said there in terms of and see if it can come back of you were you were talking about yeah there we go it's come back now that makes that makes a change mm -hmm. it's been it's happened sometimes it hasn't come back. Do you in your personal opinion? Jay, do you think athletes are better suited to that because ultimately they've got so much recall, both good and bad, that they mm. can go back in terms of, because you mentioned obviously a moment in time where you feel confident, sure. uh, of being able to go back in time and then to feel a certain way. It's okay, I've faced... I, I, I've, I've <clears throat> something that looks quite similar to what I'm experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Let me go back and see how that feels. Do you think athletes are better suited or just generalizing? No, no, I don't think they're better suited. I think that it is person. It's, it's an individual thing. And I think if we're going to like try and identify a specific skill, I think the skill is the ability to reflect and maybe even the willingness to go back and reflect. Now, 
maybe you can make the argument that like athletes are forced to reflect back on past performances, like more often than, than like any other person. But I think whether you're an athlete, whether you're a performer, whether you're any, any specific career or whatever it is that you're doing in your craft, what, you know, if you have the ability to go back and reflect and to do so with the right intention, then I think you open the window for you to be able to kind of identify some of these concepts, or at least identify the disparity between the version of yourself that you're trying to be, that you're trying to execute and the version of yourself that you are. Um, so yeah, I, I, maybe you can make the argument that athletes are put in a, are in a situation where they have to review their performance. But I think I think the majority of us review our performance um, in anything that we're doing, whether it's, you know, maybe sometimes it's not terribly productive, but I do think that we are spending some time reflecting on it. You'll probably like this one. My coach says cutting off the head of the old identity. Cutting off. Okay. It's extreme. It's extreme, but ultimately it's, it's, it, it, it's true. Cause ultimately you, you get some, uh, s- some closure and, 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 mm-hmm. And, and be able to move forward it's like that's probably my i won't say unwillingness because that's not true it's probably i don't want to yeah but for, yeah. for some of it's like well no, i don't want to cut his head off completely because mm-hmm. i want to be able to re- recall him back if i need to but right. it, it, it's probably maybe pushing him into a, i don't know we took the brig or something like that it's like yeah it can't come out but mm-hmm. i'll let you out if i want to but Sure. To, to I know some people to, to be able to unshackle themselves, they do need to do that extreme of what well, mm-hmm. you're not you're not being product you're not being productive, you're not being useful. I need to get rid of yeah. you. Um ultimately that's probably why I've had that little bit of conflict. It's like it's still yeah. somewhat useful, but I think the point you mentioned of uh in my current line of work to lose my temper with people is very mm-hmm. unproductive um obviously i can i can make a point as right uh i did have a previous client where i had to kind of well, i was losing my temper with myself but i confronted them not literally but confronted mm-hmm. them on zoom and kind of said well i don't want to treat you like a child but if i need to i'm gonna have to because <laughs> you're not listening yeah. um but that's the, the reflection i got to is like well i'm smashing my head against a brick wall Mm-hmm. which is stupid yeah it's not going into you thus i'm doing something wrong how do i tweak it obviously we, we i bring it to the head i've reflected there again and ultimately came out with something that was very useful for everybody yeah. so, sure. <laughs> so, sure. so sure. and i've obviously uh, cap- capitalized on it but it well, it's probably taken oh gosh we're talking about probably like a year ago mm-hmm. of kind of going well nah you're beating you're beating yourself up yes it's goes both ways as they're very good communicator now but i think because i've got better i've raised the standard mm-hmm. of kind of going well what's the problem uh and now it will be okay um what was it I think she made light of having a back problem when she did work with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't. That's that's news to me because I thought sure. it was something new. Sure. Um, but I think because I was willing to, because I've worked with them in the past, I'm quite happy to jump on a Facebook Facebook and, and do a course. Well, go straight instead of going backwards and forwards, I email or 
text or any kind of written thing. Let's just get it from the horse's mouth. What's the problem? Sure. Why is the problem? Da, 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 get the answer. Boom. There we go. Okay. It's more, it's more of a problem that you let on. It would have been better at the time. We could have sorted that as well. But that is, I'm not saying that was easy for me, for the audience. If we talk about reflection, I was probably at times unwilling to look at things from a different perspective. It'd be sure. black and white. Um, it's probably similar to the, the gentleman that I mentioned to do. It's 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 clear cut, introvert, extrovert, easy to black and white. My TEDx talk, I talked about motivation as look at it from a camera's perspective. It's black and white and it's, mm. not, it's not black and white. It's shades of gray. You mm -hmm. need to have an open-mindedness of looking at motiv motivation is cyclical, like everything in life. It's it's waves, it comes and goes. Um, uh, I think the athletes listen to this know that for a fact. I think for people outside of the sporting arena, I think they assume all these people are floating on cloud night every single day. It's like, Psh, okay, no, that's not realistic. <laughs> the ones winning, yeah. Even the ones winning winning title after title, gold medals, Etc. They gotta. They gotta. I would. I would. I would argue even Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant probably. Well, obviously no longer with us, but mm -hmm. they probably suffered with motivation from time to time. Even though Kobe talked about Mamba mentality, there's probably lower yeah. points. Yeah. Well, I that. think we. I think. I think we. I do agree with you in that. I think that there has been kind of this perception of elite athletes for a long time of them kind of being, I don't know if superhuman is the word, but kind of, they're just on another, another level above. And it hasn't really been until recently, at least, you know, with some of our athletes in the U S kind of coming out and actually speaking to some of the mental health challenges that I think have been brushed under the rug. And I think they've been brushed under the rug because these athletes have always been afraid of being deemed as weak, you know, and, and there, and I think that's a, that's a piece of the identity that, that really any athlete can, or that's an unproductive piece of an identity that an athlete can adopt in that, you know, I have to be this certain thing. I have to be without fear or worry or anxiousness. And I have to be without failure. And I have to be without this feeling of pressure because anything other than that is going to be deemed as weak. And if there's one thing that an athlete never wants to be deemed as is that would be weak. Yeah, but I think you'd agree with this, Jay. There's no, there's no, there's no success without failure. There is no strength without weakness. Yeah, pretty much. I can make a quite case of point for every single word. Yeah. There is yep. an opposite, um, <clears throat> and, and ultimately, okay. My coach is named Rich, and he used the slogan "Team Rich." And my mom was asking me today, "Who's Team Poor?" Ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it, it, it's funny but it's true but nobody right. wants to be on that team right right pretty much the <clears throat> money money talks and the money goes around with, with with dollar signs yeah it's the same it's the same mentality if i was to say to this audience you want to be a winner or do you want to be a loser I, sure. I highly doubt nobody will be in, on the other side of the fence with the right. losers right um it it is a perspective of i think it's badly placed because you know better than everybody 
you learn more from the losing more from failure than you ever did yeah. with winning and, and succeeding ultimately I mean, was- you can you can if you allow yourself to you know i think that i think that yes you have to you know if you're if if you're only ever succeeding the obvious you know kind of cliche expression is like if you're only ever su- su- succeeding you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough um but I also think that, you know, just even with, with the everyday athlete or the everyday person or performer, if, if you fail, you then have a decision to make. And I do think that there are absolutely people who will deem even the smallest failure as almost like a fatality. Like, well, that opportunity has gone, will never come back. And they just, they treat it as though it's fatal. Um, and, and, you know, that's obviously where we can, you know, where, where the conversation could take more of like a growth mindset turn, but, you know, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that I, I would, I would restate it and say that, you know, failure can create more success if you allow it to, because I absolutely think that there are people that in that, you know, I've met with some of them as, as clients that we've had to work through this, that failure is just so catastrophic um, or at least the relationship with failure is and what, and really that, that gets down to what are these, what are these consequences of the failure that they're putting in their mind? You know, who are they they're letting themselves down, letting them, letting the people around them down, like how catastrophic is that going to be in their mind? But again, that just goes back to kind of that relationship with these, with these principles. I always think it's important you know, as you've heard, you know, I never use the the term good or bad when we talk about. So now there are things that are that are good and that are, there are things that are overtly bad. Right. But I always I always speak in terms of and I do this with my clients as well. I always speak in terms of productive or unproductive and failure is no different. You know, you have a choice. You know, how can you how can you find a way to make this productive? Because failure can absolutely be unproductive, and it can absolutely be, you know, lead to self sabotage, lead to this pessimistic mindset, lead to this lack of creativity, and and then thus you're not going to find a solution. There's another side to that coin, but that's also a choice, um, and it's a lot easier to make that choice if you've if you've cultivated a more productive relationship with what failure is. I think that's a great way of looking at that. that I'm going to steal that now. Yeah, do it. All yours. <laughs> In terms of, no, but I think it's, 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 you look at it from a factory perspective. <clears throat> ultimately, unproductive is reject. It's, it's, it's thrown away. And it's, mm-hmm. um, I think the only, the only one that, uh, I'm not endorsing Snickers, but they use inside their bar is, pretty much the leftovers from the one before thinking well that's a mistake then originally the, the, the company didn't come up with that straight off the bat right, that's a mis- right. somebody's made a mistake along the lines <clears throat> and then that they've yep. stuck with it because it's sold um mm-hmm. but that being said um jay so we're coming time to to to, to the end of the episode sure i ask this of every guest mm-hmm. and i'll ask you two questions i'll, I'll, I'll be generous if you got to sit down with any athletes that are alive for that matter, who would that be and why? And my second question, which coach would you like to sit down with that are alive and why? Um, coach is, that's a straightforward one. So Phil Jackson, um, just in terms of just him being kind of one of the first ones to bring this to the, bring a lot of this to the forefront. I mean, this is, you know, I, mean, I believe the Bulls, if I'm going to do I believe the Bulls were like the 80s and then the Lakers came afterwards, 80s, early 90s. I mean, it was the 90s, but coach would be Phil Jackson. Um, Athlete, man. 
There's so many good options. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why? Because obviously for the, for the American owners, I know I know, I know why because I watch yeah. a little bit of NFL. Yeah, for I'm, the I'm international not sure. owners, why? Yeah. So so the 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 twenty second story on Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is an NFL uh, American football quarterback, and throughout his entire career, he's never been the best or considered a top prospect or anything, right? He wasn't a top prospect coming out of high school. I believe he played at Harvard, not exactly an American football powerhouse, right? I'm not even sure that he was drafted. If it was, if he was, it was in the, in the, in the later rounds, like he's just never been the guy on any team. And in a league where the average career is about two and a half years long, this guy found a way to make a, I think he's going on his 17th or 18th year this year, just never being what anybody would consider elite. And he is my favorite, like go-to example for athletes when it comes to their mindset in that the most valuable quality that an athlete can have is to be consistent. And it doesn't matter if you're the consistently the best guy on the team, the mid guy on the team, or you're just consistently the third string or the backup. If you're consistent, that means that you're reliable that means that the coaches are going to trust you. And if you're an athlete that the coaches can trust, that's almost always going to lead to more and more opportunities. And that has just been that guy's entire career. And he just seems like a cool dude. He seems like a dude you'd want to grab a beer with. So Ryan Fitzpatrick and Phil Jackson would be the answer there. Well, I think most people probably know him from that highlight where he got his helmet pulled the other way and he still made the throw. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like, he's just, he's never been the guy. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a good story. I mean, you can, and you can go across sport with that example. I mean, there's, there's absolutely guys in, you know, American baseball or hockey who they've made an entire career just because they're, they're good teammates or they're good locker room guys, or they're just consistent. You know, you can, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is, he's, he's done very well for himself financially, never being the best guy. And yet we see so many athletes just being so focused on and so, you know, deterred because they're not the best one or they're not the best one at the camp or not the best one on the team or not the best, not the highest rated prospect, you know, in their country or globally. And honestly, you don't have to be, look at that guy. He's doing fine. And my last question before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? I would summarize that the ability to handle stress and pressure and adversity is something that, yes, elite athletes and performers can become very good at, but they can absolutely be distilled down and apply to just about, I mean, really anybody who's trying to better enhance a craft or better enhance themselves or whatever it is. So that would be, that would be the thing. And then I've got a free gift for your audience too. Um, if they get over to train with perk, perk is P E R C. So all one word train with perk, P E R C.com slash free guide. It's a 10 minute free guide. Um, it'll absolutely help anybody kind of boost their three simple things they can install to boost their mental preparation. I, I literally built the thing to say, you know, if somebody came into my office on like a Thursday and they said, Jay, I've got this big thing on Monday, what can I work on over the weekend? Those would be the three things that I would give them. So it's some of some of my best stuff. Um, train with perk, perc.com slash free guide. It'd be a great little gift for your audience. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure, Jay. And obviously you've mentioned that that'll be in the description uh, below this episode. 
so once again, Jay, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hart. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.